Hey everyone, Mario Barecki here, and I am known as the Conversation Guy. I'm also the founder of MediaMar, and at MediaMar, we help thought leaders craft and distribute conversations that convert. I believe everything starts with a conversation. I believe conversations are the most powerful way to create connections, to create relationships, and to create opportunities with each other. So everything has a basis in conversation. And on this podcast that you're about to listen to, I'm going to have 10-minute conversations with thought leaders to do just that, create relationships, create opportunity, but more importantly, to convey value, value from them and their perspective and how they operate on a daily basis, and to really tell a story that can bring some value and positivity tips, tricks, ideas, what have you, to your life to make it better. So sit back, relax, buckle in. It's going to be a wild ride. I know those things don't quite go together. Sit back, relax, and buckle in. But it's going to be a lot of fun, and we're going to get the conversation started right now. And as always, don't forget, if you like what you hear, please rate and review our podcast. I am super excited to have a very special guest here with us today. Not only is he a high-performance coach, but he's also one heck of an athlete. He's a professional athlete, actually. He played professional football, and his name is Kean Loggie. And uh, Kean, as I said, is a high-performance coach. He works on all aspects of his clients' lives, physical, mental, and emotional. And having worked with Silicon Valley entrepreneurs, professional athletes, and world-class fitness models... His uh, work in helping top performers find fulfillment in their lives is impressive, considering it actually all started with a football injury. So I'm super excited to have you here, Kian, and uh, let's talk about that. How did a football injury lead into you becoming a high-performance coach? That is an incredible question. And number one for me in that is two hours before I got the news that I would never be able to play again. I was sitting in the cafeteria in Kansas City watching practice. And there was this overwhelming feeling that that I would say randomly came over me while I was watching practice. That was a feeling that followed a thought of, this is it. This is what it feels like to accomplish your lifelong dream. Like really, Kian, like this is it. And quickly after I had that thought, I pushed it away and said, no, 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 this is amazing. This is amazing. This is exactly how it's supposed to be and, and neglected that thought. And then two hours later, like I said, I went and got the news. I'd never be able to play again. And so after I received that news and experienced a lot of grief and, and, and go through the process of being told that I wouldn't play again, I questioned what the heck that thought was that I had in the, in the cafeteria watching practice. Like, whoa, how did that happen? Like my dream, my lifelong dream since I was in third grade finally happened. And the thought came up of, this is it? So that feeling and that thought and that question that I asked myself in that moment was a question that I asked myself, why, when I got done playing? And that led me into this process of, okay, well, what actually leads to fulfillment and what actually leads a life of joy? If it's not something that I accomplished and it's not something that I can win to get, what exactly is going to bring me to this place that I'm looking for? I love the fact that your mind went to fulfillment and joy because a lot of times if you're like in my mind, I don't know this to be the case, so you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I would imagine that as a professional athlete, when you realize that you can no longer do that, you've worked your whole life to get there. You've put in countless hours and reps and all of your energy and attention into getting to this very high level. And then realizing you can't do it anymore, there's got to be number one, that feeling of panic, so to speak. What am I going to do now? And then like your mind went straight to joy and fulfillment. But a lot of people probably go, how am I going to make money? Like, how am I going to support family? How am I going to live? How am I going to eat? Was that something that came up for you? Or was it purely like, I need to go find my purpose and do that, and then the rest will come? 
Yeah, you know, I was very fortunate to be in a position where I had a lot throughout my whole life, uh, a lot of familiar support. Right. So I went home and I was at my parents' house and, and I've always been very, very independent. So they're like, hey, like you get your footing, like you're good, like just relax and grieve and do whatever you got to do. Like we, we got you for right now. And so I'm very fortunate to be able to have that and, and not having kids, not having a wife either. I would say I'm, I'm very fortunate in that way. So I, I would say I did have a little bit of a cushion to not have these immediate things that I had to pay for and to handle. So I had the space to be able to openly ask myself that question and to follow that. So I would say that definitely helped. Well, I would say too, that your background at achieving such success at that level as an athlete, when you started doing this work with people, you have that innate in you, right? That you're going to like, you're not satisfied with just getting by. You want to be the highest of the highest of the performers. And that's what led you to actually having that opportunity in the NFL. So how much did you take from that journey and from that career into what you do today when you coach other people? Oh my gosh. It's, it was incredible. What I learned is absolutely incredible. What, what I took from the process of getting to the NFL is valuable information that I will forever be grateful for. But the biggest piece that I found the difference between the energy that I had in the process of getting to the NFL and the energy that I have now in the process of becoming the best in the world at what I do now is that before I was achieving from a place of lack, I was achieving from a place of if I don't, don't do this and I don't get this and I don't make this happen, I don't feel good about myself. Right. And so there's this like this underdog, this lack and this hurt that fueled me to get to this place of being the best in the world. Right when there was times when when I felt like uh, I wasn't doing very good, or when I was going to college camps and I felt like I wasn't meeting my my expectation that I had for myself. Oh my gosh! At night, between the days of the camps, I would be in my room just like by myself, like mm, like not moving, not like just feeling super hurt. Now the next day, like I, I'm really able to shed that and move on. That's what I think was maybe such a good player was my short memory to mistakes that I made. But in between. Oh my gosh, I would beat myself up so hard. And so now I operate from a place of grace and I operate from a lot of forgiveness and I operate from a place of I actually don't need to be the best in the world at coaching, even though I am, to be okay about myself. And so that's what allows me to continue to grow and develop in this space by being able to let go of the underdog and let go of the hurt that fueled me. And now I'm coming from a place of love and joy and acceptance within myself. So a lot of the actions are the same and how, I, how I'm becoming, but the energy behind it is very different. And that's such a great distinction right there. I mean, I want to make sure people don't miss that because it's the difference uh, between aspiring to something when you say, I want to be this. And that language just tells yourself right now that you're not that and saying, I am that I just am going to keep executing and keep getting there operating from a place as if right. That's such a powerful place to take action from as opposed to always striving to get to that level that you don't feel like you're at. And because you're not there subconsciously, you feel like you don't belong there yet. A hundred percent. And that's where operate from that place of I am. You said I am. You can actually embody that. When, when I began to actually truly embody that, I stopped having to work so hard. I stopped having to be the underdog, right? Even though in football, I wasn't, I was a freak, dude. I was a white boy, 235 pounds. Like I had a 39 inch vert. Like, dude, I was a beast, like linebacker. Right. But, but inside I didn't know that I didn't feel that. So I operated from this place of having to, to work harder than everybody else and having to prove myself, right. All these like diminishing underdog feelings that, that weren't serving me, right. They're actually just holding me back. And what the underdog mentality was, was actually an exemplification of my lack of confidence in myself. Right. 
And so that's one of the biggest things is like you said, that, that I am being able to embody that. And then when I, when I am now, how am I being, if it's already done, if everything's already done, how do I show up? Right. And that's the, the million dollar question I'd like to dive into if you're open to it. Yeah, for sure. And uh, the question I was going to ask is, is it funny how as human beings, we always downplay our own achievements? Like we look at other people who've achieved like something less than we have, but we're still saying, look at them, look how great they are. And then we look at what we do and it's like, eh, it's not that big of a deal. I did that, whatever. I need to get here. I need to get here. Like this, not a big deal. I need to, like you're in the NFL, right? Like, or you're a caliber of athlete that could play in the NFL. You knew that that's the best in the world but you were still in that place of, I have to get better. I can't make that mistake. I have to do this. Look at these guys. They're so good. And that's not exclusive to you. That's a human condition. It's just so interesting. It is. It's very, very common in a lot of high performers. Really what it is, it's false humility. It's false humility. It's this like, I'm being humble. I'm like exemplifying humility for my accomplishments, my achievements. But actually what it really is, it's a sense of not being worthy of those accomplishments. So we disassociate from them thinking they're not good enough or it can, they could be better or, or I should shoot higher. Right. And so that's what it really is. It's, it's a lack of confidence in ourselves that causes us to, to say, Oh, well, thank you. But it, it's not that good. Or, Oh, thank you. But, 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 but this, right. And it actually makes me like kind of sick to hear from people now, just because I, I used to operate in that place. It's like a, it's like somebody that they used to drink, you know, alcohol a ton. They're an alcoholic and they finally cut it. And they've been done for a year and now they're condemning everybody else for drinking a lot. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm, I'm kind of in that place a little bit where I really am sensitive to when people operate in that false humility place where I'm just like, ah, dude, I know you're just like actually really lacking confidence and you're, you're achieving from a place of hurt. Yeah. Right. So it's really interesting to see and observe that now that I've, I've been removed from. I think that like giving and receiving, right. It's a cycle. You have to be able to do both. So you have to be able to give freely but then accept openly and accept with grace. And I think that there's a lot of people that even when they're complimented or their achievements are read, like you said, they're always like, they get real uncomfortable and they're like, oh, thanks. Or yeah, that, but that's not a big deal. Let's talk about this. Or they deflect yep. or they just don't like it. But when you can gracefully, you don't have to like sit in it and preach to everyone how great you are, right? That's not, that, there's, that's over the edge on the other side. But when you can accept that with grace, acknowledge it, and then move on. There's a power in that because it shows yourself that you're recognizing that that is you, that you're capable of that. And that, yes, we all want to improve. Yes, we're always growing, but you have to start from somewhere and you have to acknowledge where you are, be real about it. And if you are farther along than when you started, that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's where, for me, it's either you're in a place of, of taking or you're in a place of receiving. I don't really believe in giving and receiving because in an ideal world, when somebody gives a compliment and somebody accepts a compliment, it's just this, this perpetual process of receiving. Let me explain a little bit because a lot of high achievers, because we're so independent, right? And we're so self-sufficient and we don't like to rely on anybody else but ourselves. We deflect some of those compliments because we think that it makes the other person feel more up. Because if we do accept a compliment, it'll make, we think, that that person will feel inferior to us, right? which will lead to what? Disconnection. And what's the one of the biggest fears behind high performers, people that are high achievers that deflect compliments? Losing connection, right? So we do what we can to maintain connection. We overgive, we deflect compliments, because those are things that we think are going to maintain connection. We can go into all that at some other time, right? But, but very relevant to, to this moment. Because the truth is, is that when we give ourselves permission, or when Mario's here, he gives me a compliment. Hey, Ken, your bro tank's awesome, dude. <laughs> right. And I'm like, dude, 
Like, thank you for saying that. Like, that feels really good. Thank you. Like, I love showing this off thing, the right? guns. Right, got the guns out. Let's go. Yeah, you worked right? hard for this. Right? Show them off. There it is. Right, and, and so yeah. right there, like you didn't even give me that compliment. I made that up. Mm-hmm. But did you see how you yeah. felt when I when I did that? Right, yeah. you felt good. You're like, ooh, yeah. I, I actually didn't even give that compliment <laughs> right there, but that felt good to share that moment with him, didn't you? Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, what was that? That that was both of us receiving, right? By you giving me the compliment. That gave me the permission to receive it. When I fully received that compliment, yeah. fully, and I didn't reflect it and say, oh, you know, this, it's not that great. Your, your shirt's better. <laughs> right? But then you're like, oh, 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 okay, all right. Have you ever, let me ask you this question to this same point. Have you ever gotten someone a gift and you were super excited about giving it to them because it's something they wanted or something that you put a lot of thought into or whatever, and you give it to them and they don't want to accept it? Doesn't that feel terrible? It feels terrible. Yeah. It's the same thing with a compliment, yeah. right? A gift. Yeah. It's a, so that's what I mean. In an ideal world, if we can see it as not giving and receiving, but either taking, right? Giving and taking or receiving, that changes the game, yeah. right? If, if I can see it as by this person giving me this compliment and I fully receive their compliment, then they're able to be in that receiving with me. Then they receive what they wanted when they initially gave it to me because that feels good, mm-hmm. right? That's one of the biggest things I think with, with the whole concept of the deflection and everything. It's, it's actually just yeah. uh, lacking confidence. And a good example of this and from no personal story of mine, I grew up in a big Italian family, right? Very close aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents. And anytime we would all go to dinner, there'd be like 30 of us. Usually we ate at my grandfather's, but sometimes we would all go out to dinner. And my grandfather would always want to pay. Always. He would go to the waitress beforehand and always try to pay for everyone. And of course, my dad, when I was a kid and my uncles would all fight over the bill with him and they would all fight over who's going to pay. And I learned that, you know, he would get really mad when they wouldn't let him pay because it's his family. He's the patriarch. He wanted to, you know, do that for everyone. And I learned that like it was a gift for him. Not because like he knows that we could pay for it. It's not like he's doing something that like because he has to take care of everyone. But he wanted to do that. And it was almost like, yeah, it was hard because you don't want to see him have to do that or feel like he has to do that. But I know that's not what he felt like. And so it was almost a gift for him to allow him to do that and just be gracious about it and just say thank you and really appreciate it. And you could see the difference. Like if you fought over it and you took it or if you got to the waitress first and paid, he'd get really upset and angry and he'd be mad. But if you let him do it and then you graciously thanked him and gave him a hug afterwards, he was beaming. Hmm. And that's kind of the same thing. It's like when you let someone do something nice because they want to do it, then everyone gets something from that. Everybody wins. Just yeah. get this receiving cycle, receiving, 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 receiving. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Kian, thank you so much for being here. This is such a great conversation. I can't wait to pick it up on the next show because you've promised to come back for round two. And I'm super excited for that. I want to remind people they can find you online at kianloggy.com. So that site's in the show notes and all of your social links as well. So they can connect with you across all social media because you're a very accessible guy. I'm sure you'd love to talk to some people if they reached out to you. So I invite them to do that. Now, on your behalf, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but I want to invite people to connect because I know that you're that gracious and you're that kind of person. And thank you so much for all you shared. And I can't wait to have you back again soon. I'm excited for it. Let's do it. Hey, everyone. I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the podcast. It really means a lot to me. Conversations are what I thrive on. It's something that I believe is so important for each and every one of us to have conversations that matter, to have conversations that connect us, to create relationships with each other. So the conversation that I have with the guests that are on the show, the conversations that the guests and I create to have with you are equally important and a great way for you to have 
conversations with us is to rate and review the podcast. So if you could go to Apple Podcasts, go to wherever you listen to your podcasts and rate and review this, it is much appreciated. And you can always find us at MediaMario.com. If you go to MediaMario.com, you can find all the things there. If you want to connect with the guests that I had on today or guests that I've had on the show in the past, you can go to MediaMario.com and get their information. If you want to connect with me and have a conversation with me, I welcome that. All my social links everywhere that you can find me all over the web is at MediaMario.com. So go there, visit us, connect with us. I'd love to have conversations with you. I hope you found value in today's show, and I can't wait to bring you the next conversation on the next episode of The Conversation Guy. Until then, have a wonderful day, and we'll talk to you real soon.